I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson. They need to capture some of our uh, pre-show now that we have our own Twitter account. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they probably were. I mean, who yeah, knows? Coughing up a lung. You know, the outtakes. The outtakes could be coming from our new uh, Twitter account. How you doing, man? It's not bad. Not bad. You? Great. Um, it's the Wednesday show, which means uh, you never know what we can get here, though it's very often fueled by your emails. Um, so the title of today, we're talking about how to build a secondary. That was fueled from one of our listener emails. We're going to go back to that Patriots-Bills game a little bit on Monday Night Football. Already did that for Tuesday's PFF NFL Daily, but we'll revisit that game a little bit and then look forward to Steelers-Vikings Thursday Night Football and uh, ask the question about T.J. Watt getting some MVP hype over in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Yes, remember, if you want to send us an email, and we've gotten an awful lot of good ones, um, we'll use a few on the show, the ones that we don't use. You know, unlucky, but we're reading them. We like what we see. Uh, so thank you for sending them. Uh, NFL podcast at PFF. So NFL podcast singular at PFF.com. Send us emails. In particular, we were looking for ideas for both the charity that we can donate to next time. So this bat here was from our last one, the, uh, the Best Friends Animal Society that we raised almost five grand for. We're like 4,900 and something. It, it keeps coming, huh? Yeah. Uh, so we need a new charity and we need a new thing, a new forfeit, a new punishment, a new whatever it is. Um, I, I'm going to read one out in its entirety. Honestly, I don't think there's much chance of us doing this one, but I, I like the idea. I like where his headspace is at. So he, this might give you some inspiration. So this one is from Corey King. Uh, for $1,000, Sam and Steve need to sing one Christmas carol together in a very public place in Cincinnati. For $1,500, Sam and Steve need to sing one Christmas carol together in a very public place in holiday costumes, preferably elves or reindeer. <clears throat> At 2,000, the solo kicks in. So one carol sung together in costume, but also one of you needs to sing one carol solo. The solo will depend on the final fundraising number. If it's an even number, Steve sings. If it's an odd number, Sam sings the solo. The solo must be either Oh Holy Night or Silent Night. Whoa, whoa, the odds are completely in your favor there. What? It's more likely to be an even number. Why? Because it just is. Why? Because if, if multiple people donate odd numbers, it's going to be even. If multiple people, you know, it'll, it'll land even. Look, stop wrecking the email. Okay, go ahead. At, at $2,500, we had a second group called Carol plus the solo uh, in costumes in a very public place. A second group, Carol. So multiple songs form the two of us, then the solo. Every $500 after that, you must either add another PFF singer in costume or an additional song. Another PFF singer in costume. <laughs> Stretch goal, we get the $5,000. Bossman Chris has to be a singer. Uh, all of this filmed, of course, in a public place. Uh, a local theater should have the costumes or a party product store. You pick the charity, Gory King. So I'm not going to lie. I don't think there's much chance of that one winning, but 
I like the idea. I like the creativity. A lot of I creativity. Like the, there's a lot gone into that. There's, there's layers. Mm -hmm. There's levels yep. to work to. I uh, don't like the idea of me singing, but no one else would either. Right. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah it is a good punishment. It would be bad You're the only everybody. one that's ever uh, sung a song on the PFF NFL podcast. True. How do we... How do we find those better we need a better way of like tracking those down like you sang a whole yeah i'm fine with never finding that irish jig or whatever yeah. right i'm and fine with that disappearing into the ether like the time <clears throat> the, the the day that we showed me pitching to you or had the audio the audio and video version was like week 12 review i got it's tough to, re tough yeah. to remember that you know what i mean or week 12 preview or whatever by the way multiple people now pointed out that you didn't yell be great dominate into your glove which is why you only hit 74 miles an hour but i did i did it and it was not captured. Well, then it didn't happen. Um, I would like to have. I would like to say that I didn't do it, and that's why I topped out at seventy-four. <laughs> Had I done that, eighty would have been cracked. But uh, not, not necessarily the case. I yelled, "Be great, dominate!" into my glove. It did not make it into the. Yeah. Uh, into my the favorite final comment class. on the YouTube video was, uh, you know, Steve, seventy-three miles an hour. All right, now I'm going to gas it up, seventy-four miles an hour. <laughs> that true. was good. Oh, really let it all out to get to uh, to 74. Like we've been holding something back until now. Let me uh, let me really fire, <laughs> fire some heat down. Oh, One tempted, more mile I'm tempted hour. to train once again. <laughs> I'm tempted to train again. And oh, another good one we got in. I, I, I'm not even going to read this one out because it's long. But his idea was essentially a lot of people have sort of said some variant of a combine, you know, 40 time bench press, all that kind of stuff yeah. between us. This guy added a new layer, which I think is freaking genius. So we both essentially pick whatever position that our general body shape and size would project to at the NFL level. So me, it's going to be receiver yeah. or cornerback. You, I don't know what. Defensive, defensive end, end, I guess. Defensive end or tackle. Right. Uh, then we do all the drills, and then we plug the numbers into Eric's uh, college to pro projections. The athleticism score? Yes, and whichever okay. one of us projects to being a better NFL player, that's who gets the money that for the charity. So that I like. I, the, the combine idea, that I one, don't hate. I don't love from, it either. But yeah. Uh, Martin Tuller. Tuller. Yeah. Tuller <clears> if we were going to do it, we I think that's to. hilarious. Um, I think when uh, our friend Josh Norris did that a couple of years ago for NBC Sports, they plugged him into the uh, yeah, yeah. mock draftable spider right. chart and all that stuff. Yeah, we would have to. I would, I would want to be. I, want, I would want my athleticism plugged into everything. I'd have like that's the height, what makes weight. it genius. <laughs> I'd like have that, height and weight. Right. That's the, like, yeah, you 99 percentile height. Yeah. I am NFL percentile. height and weight. I mean, I'm, I'm NFL size. Well, everybody is. Like, not everybody. Most people. That's half the battle. Yeah. I mean, not every. It's not. Not everybody. But if Tutu Atwell can hit the NFL at his size, then every, well, most people are NFL height and weight somewhere along the way. Anyway, that's. It's, like, as, you don't, it's as long as you don't ask any more questions, I'm a perfectly reasonable NFL sized athlete. 5'11", 180-ish. We're going to go through full measurements here. Sam. That's what I'm saying. As long yeah. as you don't ask any further questions, we're good. Because I would probably be uh, high percentile hands. Like, I'd have a lot of high through percentiles Through the roof. You and here. DeForest Buckner out here with your freaking like, ham hock size Jim Nagy hands. might invite me to the senior bowl just on arm length alone. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. We'll get Jim on the horn. We'll get arm length, hand size, height, weight. Yeah. As long as he doesn't see anything else, I could get the invite. Mm -hmm. or maybe the East-West Shrine. With Galco, never know. Anyway, send us emails along those lines because we're still looking. Yeah, do that. Uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. Oh, also, we have, a, we have a Twitter account for the podcast now. It, it is. is real. I saw some people asking, is this real? It is, yes. We haven't gone as far as trying to get it verified yet. I think that process is more complicated than it used to be. And frankly, we'll wait until that's more than a few hundred followers to go down that road anyway. 
Um, but you'll know it's real on the basis that we're retweeting it as our, you know, the main account and all those kinds of things. So at PFF NFL pod, and here's a little sweetener. If you want to actually follow this account and send me some kind of proof that you're following it, actually, you don't even need to do that. I can look at the, uh, uh I can look at the followers. We'll give that away, right? This is a book that, uh, some publicist sent me (laughs) and therefore I'm going to give it away. Uh, Super Bowl blueprints, Hall of Famers reveal the keys to football's greatest dynasties or dynasties uh bill polian and vic carucci so if you would like to win that follow the uh the new podcast twitter account at pff nfl pod on twitter and at some point i will draw a winner and post that out to you i um do you hear joe buck on the manning cast the other night yes he was just like brutally honest guy and like maybe too honest maybe too much yeah you know you know peyton was asking you know, you ever want to have guests on your broadcast with Troy? He's like, yeah, that Super Bowl you had against the Seahawks. That was okay. That I was, know that was fine. But that like, was like a shot joke that I thought was, you know, a little bit over the line. But okay, I'm, I'm cool with that one. The one that I thought was a little bit too honest was when Peyton was like, uh, you know, you, you never get tired of these commercial breaks. You know, that you got I, I got to interrupt uh, David Letterman three times to throw the commercial. He's like, no, I don't get tired of commercial breaks. Like, that's, I'm sitting here at my house in Cabo. That's how that gets paid for. Every time we toss the commercial, my own personal cash register goes off my brain. You're like, wow, that's, that's pretty honest. I, 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 we're, we're not at that level. I'm just saying we have uh, elements of that kind of, uh, you know, just every time the landscape radical comes candor. Up. Radical candor sometimes over here on the PFF NFL podcast. We're going to tell you the truth, tell you like it is. Like this, uh, it's on this side, like this stray curl. Right here. Didn't even notice that. I had to tuck it back in there. That's a real shame. Ah, radical candor. You were like, ah, somebody gave me this book for free. We're going to give it away. Yeah. Instead of, you know, selling it a little bit. I mean, I I might buy somebody a book anyway. We've done that before. I'm just saying I'm a lot more prepared to give somebody a book if I didn't pay for it in the first place. So it's all about Bill Polian? Uh, No, it's Bill Polian talking about various other dynasties of which his was one. Okay. Or maybe two, actually, looking at the pictures. (laughs) Have we, do we tell our... Do I tell my Bill Polian story? That you had a meeting with him and it didn't go so well? Yeah, that's it. That's okay. the extent of it. Yeah. But the old man was yelling at me. <laughs> I mean, he was mad. You described it as the worst single meeting that PFF as an entity has ever had. It is. It is. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Michael Parker, who works behind the scenes, very um, former, he was the backup quarterback to Tim Couch. I mean, like, he, he had like four other backup quarterbacks in front of him. Yes, he was a backup, 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 backup quarterback. But he was on the same team as Tim Couch at right. Kentucky. Uh, Michael Parker works uh, behind the scenes here for us over at PFF. It was him and I meeting with Bill Polian over at ESPN years ago. And I have never – look, we, we, we get criticized a lot, mm-hmm. right? Coaches, players, the whole thing. I've had a general manager look me in the eyes and say, I just want to make sure that you're not some – 15-year-old grading my players in your underwear in your mom's basement. Like that, you know, paraphrased, but that was said to me before. And did you pass that test? I said no comment. Okay. But uh, at the end of the day, he at least looked me back in the eye and said, okay, I I respect your process. Like I I understand where you're coming from, Hmm. right? Um, So we've had many of these meetings through the years where we could sit down and explain ourselves. And at the end of the day, people at least respect the work that we do. Except with Bill, who uh, at the end of the day just didn't completely uh, understand what we were doing at PFF. And, Bill was like yeah. full old man yells at Cloud for the entire meeting. He wasn't yelling at a Cloud. He was literally yelling at Mike and I in the meeting. He was yelling well, sure. directly at us. He was angry that we were putting <laughs> production grades on players and we're not looking at critical factors. 
and uh, he was he was unhappy mm. with all things PFF. And uh, yes, it, it still goes down as the worst meeting in, in NFL history. So yeah, we'd love to give away the book <laughs> that uh, Bill, Bill Polian's very much involved in. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've crossed Bill's path at other times. Well, look, there are people. And now, you know, you, you know how you want me to use my height? Yeah. I do that with Bill. I kind of, when should. I walk past him, I just stink eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Down. Look, look down at him. Yeah, yeah. Remember me? Remember me? Yelled at me. Mm-hmm. And look at me now. Works for the same company, same guy. You're still Hall of Fame executive. Yeah, I'm Nothing's still much changed. taller than you are. Yeah, nothing's changed. But uh, hey, no hard feelings. It was just, you know, funny little, uh, <laughs> funny, funny exchange with Bill Polian. So grab his book here. If you follow our Twitter account. Yeah. So uh, at PFF NFL pod is that Twitter account. Follow it. And at some point I will throw that in the mail to somebody. And I can't speak for every PFF employee. I don't know what they wear when they grade. I don't know. How, I, I know the age of most of our guys. I don't think we have too many 15 year olds here, but not that I know. Of, no. I don't know what it, I don't know how people I don't know how they grade. I don't know what they wear. Look, once you're in a basement, I mean, it's really it's not it's none of your business what they're whether they're in their underwear or not. Doesn't, doesn't matter what country you're in. We we grade. Akib Talib on the Manning cast was saying Bill Belichick doesn't give a crap if you roll into the building in like a full on pajama yeah. onesie as long as you're there on time and you know what you're talking about. Production, right? Right. Doesn't care if you're in your underwear in the basement. Yeah. So Belichick doesn't care. That's what I'm saying. Why should <clears throat> un, unnamed GM that yelled and, at me? And which one has the better resume? It's, just, it's just definitely Belichick there. Uh, speaking of Belichick, let's go back to Thursday night, uh, Monday night football. Is that what we want to start Thursday with? Thursday night, Monday night. Uh, so we did we did a 10-plus minute PFF NFL Daily on this, but uh, to recap it again and maybe touch on it a little bit, crazy game. Yeah. Go ahead. <coughs> good cough. Good cough there. Oh, I forgot we had a cough button for a minute. You um, covered nicely. That was good. Thanks. How'd you know to... Oh, whatever. Good. Yeah. The, so the funniest thing about this game is the aftermath from it, right? Because heading into the game... From, what, two, three hours before kickoff, there's all these videos circulating of, like, insane wind, snow, mad weather. Now we're, like, harking back to that 2008 game, which was just ridiculous. Um, So everybody for a couple of hours is like, you're not going to be able to take anything from this game. Like, this game is going to be meaningless. Somebody is going to come out with a win, but look at the weather. It means nothing. It's, It's one of those games going into it where you know it's ridiculous. And then it unfolds the way it does. The Patriots win a nail-biter. It was a close game. And all of a sudden, everybody is trying to tell you all of the 57 different things that it means. Like, here are all the things. The Bills are screwed. The Patriots are heading to the Super Bowl. Mac Jones, they don't trust him because he only had three passes. Like, the number of things that people are putting out there is like unassailable fact based off the game that three hours beforehand you were saying meant nothing. It's ridiculous. Like, how have just learned? You knew going in that it didn't mean anything. It was Who's meaningless. Doing this? It Who's remains doing this? meaningless. All Everybody. Talking heads? Everybody. Talking heads, folks? Everybody's doing it. Yeah, that's what people do. It's yeah, like, but usually they don't preface it three hours beforehand by saying, Can't learn anything. Yeah, just to forewarn you, there will be nothing to take from this game. And then three hours later, explaining all the things I, that I are taking from it. I think that's because... Of, of how extreme it was, right? I mean, Bill Belichick has this history of, first off, Bill Belichick is probably the best coach of all time, right? And, but it's not like everything he's done is perfect. And it's not like everything he's done, he invented. I mean, there was years ago, he like took a safety on purpose so they could have better field position and all that stuff. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. It's like, what do you mean? Coach just did it the year before. So like those things go to extremes. But I thought Monday night was a reminder 
that in like extreme strategic situations where you're playing the wind and you're willing to take timeouts at these odd times and all this stuff, like Bill Belichick is still the master at all that stuff. Now, in that very same game, he also put a player back as a punt returner for his first punt return in NFL history of his career, and it hit him in the helmet and led to the only touchdown that the Bills had. After he let it bounce. It wasn't even like just, you know. That was Nikhil Harry, by the way. So Nikhil Harry has his first ever punt return attempt. And he he botches it, he muffs it, and it's the old, and it, and it launches it twice. I would argue. Bills get the ball at about the twenty yard line, and they get their only touchdown off of that. So like, it's it's not perfection here. Yeah. So okay, based off the preface that you were going to be able to take nothing from this game, what did you take from this game? If I I, th- I didn't, I don't think you could take nothing from the game. I look, I think. Right. So what the, did you take from it? The thing I would take from it is when you get into January and you get into the playoffs. Bill Belichick probably still has the advantage among other coaches because in the playoffs, you could get a snow game. You could get an extreme wind game. You could get more of these. It's December and January. This is when those things happen. And I think that's still an advantage for the Patriots. I also think um, the stuff that we said at the beginning of the year about the Patriots. Remember last year, the Patriots won a lot of games the way they did the other night. Not with three passes, but with like 15 passes, right? They can win with the run game. What they have this year is the ability to also win with the pass game. The Patriots have more different different ways to win than other teams. And I think they showed that the other night. And again, I say all this. I hate, I hate using like the what-if game and all that stuff. We say all that. The Patriots are like a pass or two. You know, one lucky pass. One If Josh Allen throws one accurate back shoulder to Stephon Diggs, the Bills win. Right? I mean, that's the fine line here. It's not... Bill Belichick's God, as one person declared on ESPN. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a fine line. It's a play here and there. But I do think the Patriots have more ways of winning than other teams. Okay. Is that fair? Sure. Do you have any takeaways from this? You're a big throw-it-out guy. <laughs> um, Throw it all away. Not much. I do think that the manner of how they won, which is telegraphing that they were going to be running all game, that there was basically not going to be a pass put in the air, and still able to run the ball most of the game. Now, the numbers are a little bit skewed, right? Because you had that one big breakaway run that that sort of changes the average. And if you take away that average, you're averaging three point something yards per attempt, which is obviously a lot less good. And Buffalo did hold on a couple of critical downs late in the game. But even if you take out that play, which you can't, um, they were still able to have quite a lot of success running the ball with zero threat of the pass game. When they play again in a few weeks' time, there is going to be some threat of the pass game, which means defending the run is only harder. And now for Buffalo, this is becoming a pattern. Indianapolis, um, the, the Patriots game here, if Tampa Bay has success on the ground as well, all of a sudden you're looking at a team and saying, A, you can't afford to drop any more games, and B, you actually can't stop these teams that have a power running game. And if you start looking forward to the AFC playoffs, should you get there, there's quite a lot of them. Yeah, I know you've said that before. Um, yeah, there's an element to that. I mean, yeah, the Patriots won't be as extreme run. They will run some play action the next time and, and all that stuff. But you know, the Bills are also running. They're out there in nickel defense against yeah. six offensive linemen and a fullback and which yeah. is why. I mean, this is part of the reason you couldn't stop the run. But, like, this is the problem. But that's – you have to be more prepared the next time around. Surely you'll have a third line. How could you not have been there. prepared this time around? Like, generally speaking, 
personnel groups are just done matching up to the like if they're rolling out there in six offensive linemen how did you not make the adjustment on the fly what was the fifth db doing out there in the first place i don't know i don't know i don't know what i don't know what there was a lot of plays you're watching teron johnson the nickelback the, the nickel for the bills just like in the trenches taking on tight ends and the whole deal um that was bad i mean that was that need, that adjustment does need to be made by the Bills. And this is not something that, like, you know, you're surprised by and taken unawares, and it's going to take you half the game to figure out what they're doing and adjust. Like, this is something, A, you probably should have known was happening before the game on the basis that the posts were, like, blowing over. And, B, as soon as you saw it in the game, you should have been like, okay, let's change. They, did, they didn't really do either. But th- So that's, that goes back to, like, my takeaway, though, right? <clears throat> You've got... Uh, Sean McDermott just did not adjust properly there. Again, we're we're a couple plays away from the Bills winning. It, it's not this. The the Patriots have had other weather games in the past, like they beat the Titans fifty nine to nothing. You could take away like Bill Belichick and the Patriots were much more prepared than Jeff Fisher and the Titans in this game. You know, twelve years ago, whatever it was. Um, in this game, you're talking about a few plays here and there, but I do think the strategic element that the Patriots brought to the table was a big, obviously a big part of why they won. That's about it. Okay, that's it yeah. on that game. So the I, mean, one- I, I don't think you can take anything else crazy. I think, you know, this, there, there's people sort of saying, well, they don't trust Mac Jones at all. I, I mean, they don't, I don't think they would have trusted any quarterback throwing in that weather. Like, okay, the Bills trusted Josh Allen more than that, but the Bills are different to the Patriots. We've just been talking about the differences in philosophy and, you know, reacting to extreme situations. I think if you plugged almost any quarterback into Mac Jones' situation – he also would have had three attempts in the game. Like three is extreme, though. I think it's I, I extreme, really, but it's not like I don't think three is because it was Mac Jones. I, I think it was part of it because he really just doesn't have a good arm. Like Tom Brady has a has good yeah, velocity was, and can cut the wind with his velocity. He knows how to throw in the wind. But I, think, I really don't think, and I, I don't know if Mac Jones has ever played in weather even close to that. If it was Mac Jones related. It was specific to Mac Jones plus that wind. Mac Jones arm strength plus that wind is a bad combination. Not I don't trust Mac Jones throwing the football. It's I don't trust my specific quarterback who doesn't have the strongest arm in the world right. throwing into gale force winds. Yeah, and that's and that's fine. Um, but I do think it was in part Mac Jones skill set and all that stuff. Like Again, I, you, if, if everybody else is going to make these 2001 Patriots examples, I mean, Brady in the snowball game against the Raiders threw the ball over 50 times. It was windy, it was snowy, it was the whole thing. Um, there have been other poor, you know, bad weather games where they did not literally run the ball every single time. Um, in this particular game, they did. Now, I don't think that's a lack of trust. I really think it's just, this is our best way of winning. There's also been it, other games where they have basically just run the ball every single time. Th- but this is also, a, it's also going up against the Bills. I mean, yeah. We said that going in, like this, this is our advantage over not just other teams, but the Bills in particular, that we can run uh, more effectively against them. So let's tell everybody about our friends over at X Chair. Working from home is more important than ever. And you can optimize your home office with an X Chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort once you feel the customized support of X Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar. There's no going back. That's the DVL. It's all in the LMX Massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X Chair with versatile comfort and extraordinary design. X Chair fits any space. I love it because of the high performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. I love the massage uh, capabilities there. The heating capability was like 22 degrees this morning, so that was huge. Uh, it's all the reasons why I love my X Chair. I love getting to work to sit in that chair. 
at my home office. So go to xchairnflpod.com. That's the letter X, chair, N-F-L-P-O-D.com. Or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. It's xchairnflpod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the links right in front of you, and then the, uh, the actual link is in the description. So you get to see uh, the variety of X-Chairs that you can buy. Bunch of different types, different styles, different colors. Love the whole thing. Add the headrest, add a footrest, the whole thing. Different, Over it. Different materials. You get the, uh, yeah. the leather. Pretty fancy. I got the uh, the high-end stuff. Oh, yeah. So it's good. XChairNFLPod.com. Oh, you want to get to some uh, emails here? Yeah. No other uh, Monday Night Football takeaways? No. I can't wait to see them play again in New England. Yeah, I mean, that'll be fun. I, I, I mean, the only other takeaway is that the, the Bills are kind of in trouble now. Not necessarily because of anything from that game, the, but just because they came out with a loss. The one thing I wanted to say, I think rushing stats in general are like a little skewed because it works the other way too. The Patriots lost 10 yards of rushing in the fourth quarter because the Bills did finally, they did really stack the box and they yeah, had two losses for 10 yards. Yeah. And like, but Which feels like something they should have done in the first quarter. Yeah, I get it. So like, the, but the 63-yarder matters. Yeah. Counts. And, and, but there were other drives that the Patriots put together where it was seven yards here, eight yards there, 10 yards there. I mean, those are the plays that add up with the running game. It's not, you're always going to get a one or two yard stop in there, but, also, but it's, it's eliminating those bigger plays. The other reason like that you don't just throw out the 60 yard touchdown is like, that was a play where the Bills had a stacked box and got annihilated by the blocking of the Patriots. Everybody was bad. Blown out yes. of the water and they ran straight up the middle for 60 yards and a touchdown. Like, that's an important thing to sort of remember for next time, which is even when you stuff a bunch of guys in the box, you're not capable of stopping this. Uh, so it, it's not like you just throw it out, but it does skew the, the average a little bit was my only point. All right, email. Uh, this one from Brandon Gum. Uh, Dear Steve and Sam, or Sam and Steve, I've been thinking a lot about the corner position and whether or not PFF data would support creeping back toward average in the secondary. One example I've been thinking about is the Bengals. Cincinnati chose to let William Jackson walk in free agency last year and spent the money Jackson would have cost on Mike Hilton and Chidabe Awuzie. Uh, most people would agree that both of those players are generally downgrades over Jackson, although maybe not this year. But the presence of two above-average corners has undoubtedly made Cincinnati's defense better this year than last year. Is this a strategy you guys would buy into, or would you favor an approach such as the Rams, who place a massive burden on Jalen Ramsey? Yeah, so I think we've touched on elements of this before. I wouldn't describe that as creep back toward average necessarily, though, because even the way it was worded. I mean, you're talking about Ougier and Mike Hilton, both slightly, at least above average at their position. Mike Hilton, especially, in the slot. So yes, two, I, I, I always subscribe to the theory that two good players are better than one great player, unless you're talking about quarterback. So I would, I, I think depth is important, and this is why we put this in the title, how do you build a secondary? I think depth is as important in the secondary as any other position, both tactically, you know, how do you deploy them? And then in the Raven situation, just being able to replace them. So uh, I'll let you answer as well, but like in short, yes, get as many solid players as you can in the secondary because you can, it's a it's another weak link driven system. So you can find the weak link and exploit them if you're an opposing team. Yeah, it is. I think there's multiple ways of doing it. The Rams, the Rams approach is interesting and they're not the only team that's done this, but like the idea of getting an absolute stud number one corner and then hanging the rest of the defense of the secondary around that guy. You know, the Patriots, you could argue, did that with Stephon Gilmore. Obviously the Jets years ago with Revis. 
um, the Seahawks kind of with Richard Sherman, but they did it in a slightly different way. There's merit to that as well uh, because the things that that guy allows you to do in terms of adjusting the rest of your coverage makes other players better. So you aren't just getting Jalen Ramsey in this situation plus the sum of Darius Williams and, and everybody else in that secondary. You are getting Jalen Ramsey plus the incremental percentage increase that Jalen Ramsey gives to those other players by virtue of the fact that you can kind of forget about him, leave him alone, and give other guys help. Same idea with uh, Stephon Gilmore, right? We leave Gilmore one-on-one on a receiver of our choosing, not necessarily the number one, and then other players get help. So you're getting Gilmore plus the other players with an, with an extra percentage that comes from Gilmore. Um, but what I think is interesting is this example is a good one with the Bengals because such is the volatility of cornerback play in particular. When you lean on one guy, if that one guy has a bad year, the whole thing goes to hell. So the Bengals essentially shipped off William Jackson, put the money into two different players, Mike Hilton and Awuzie, and those guys are both having good years, and William Jackson's having a bad year. Now, I don't know if that would have happened if they kept William Jackson and you know the other two had gone somewhere else, but the point is it sort of shows you that simply by diversifying you know, your portfolio, I guess, yeah, by shipping yeah. the money like. into two different players, even if one of them has a bad year, right? You, you're, still, you're still one up. It, part of the reason why we liked William Jackson, too, was his potential. It was kind of like he had this high-end potential, and I think, I, I know, we called him our top corner in free agency, and I believed that in part because you're because of the payout. Just I think the payout of William Jackson is greater but predicting any cornerback performance is always going to be volatile. Your discussion about Jalen Ramsey is interesting, though, because you always, we always t- seem to call this guy a number one corner, a number two corner. And if you have a number one corner, everyone else's job is easier. I don't think that's true, though, schematically, depending on how you play. If, in New England, it, it is. You have Stephon Gilmore, and he is literally going to cover somebody without safety help because that's how they play strategically. Yeah. That's how they do it. In with the Rams, it's like, well, Jalen Ramsey's pretty much just your slot corner in this entire scheme. It doesn't affect the structure elsewhere. Did you hear what uh, Akib Talib said when Peyton Manning asked, uh, would you rather be on an island or have safety help? And he said he'd rather have safety help so that he could play differently, so he could play more aggressively. And Talib was, that was what he, that was his game, right? He'd play a lot of, he could play press man, but he'd play a lot of off coverage where he would jump routes, right? Slants, curls, hitches, all that stuff. He would jump route, so he wanted that safety help. So I don't know if there's a right answer for like what your best corner should do. But when New England right. had Aqib Talib, they used him like Gilmore. I mean, that was the first time they actually went back to playing man in New England is when they found an Aqib Talib, and then they found a Darrell Revis, and then they went out and got Gilmore. And those, and they depended on the very rare few that could just go play man coverage, and there was a trickle down elsewhere. In those types of systems, I think the number one corner is more valuable. In most other NFL systems, I think it's about the depth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are ways where your number one corner isn't making that kind of percentage difference to everybody else. But the whole point about it, like, if you have a guy that's that good and you therefore adapt the system around him, it can have that effect. I mean, the other issue is that most corners are not that good. So you probably can't get the same increase with a William Jackson because he just isn't as good as Jalen Ramsey or whoever, right? Or hasn't been since like 2017. So most teams 
with their number one corner, the same trick doesn't work because they're not capable of doing the same things or existing on an island without help around them. Um, but if you have one of those guys, I think you can argue that there's a different way to doing it than to just take that money. Like, I don't think the, the equation is the same with a Stefan Gilmore in his prime, uh, a Jalen Ramsey, to just say, why would you ever not just take the money that you could spend on Jalen Ramsey and divide it amongst three different corners and upgrade across your entire secondary, but know you're getting worse at number one? I think that there is an argument that what Jalen Ramsey allows you to do and uh, Revis or Gilmore or whoever is worth the premium that, that they're paid. Do you think the Rams are using Ramsey in that way, though? No, not this year. So do you think there's... Because they've been, you know, with whether it's Brandon Staley, whether it's Raheem Morris, I mean, they've been a zone-heavy team. And, you know, again, I early in the season, I said they're kind of using him like late career Charles Woodson in the slot, right. play the run, linebacker. Like, it's an extremely valuable role. It's a different role, though. It's not... Uh, it's not making everyone else yes, better, but it's a, it is accentuating Ramsey's skill set. Yeah, I don't think what he's doing this year is increasing the performance of everybody else. I think what he's doing this year is potentially increasing the performance of Ramsey, but it's not helping Darius Williams and the like on the outside. Whereas yeah. last year, I think there was an argument that they would roll coverage away from him and um, help guys like Williams more. So last year, I think you could definitely make the case that Jalen Ramsey increase the performance of number two, number three, corners on the depth yard and the safeties. This year, they are putting him in a better position to succeed, but it comes at the cost of helping everybody else. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what the Rams Rams do with Ramsey if they do change things up schematically. Because I, I just think he can, you can avoid Ramsey if you want. Right. Right. I mean, you can, you can move your receivers around and you can but they are like, not deal with him if you want. What the, their argument is that they are putting him in a position now where it's harder to avoid him on more plays. Yeah, and that's fair. But, um, it, but that's like, this is the intricacies of all this, right? It's not just, there's no really easy, simple answer of this is the way you do it and you don't do anything else. And again, the Rams are the team pushing the boundary and doing something slightly different. I think there is a, their argument is reasonable, which is, we are making Ramsey as hard as possible to avoid within the, within the offense, right? Whatever you do, if you run, Ramsey's in, around the line of scrimmage. If you uh, pass short, he's in and around the play. Anything with those bubble screens, he's going to be involved. And you've seen a bunch of plays where he just wrecks those. Um, sure, he's going to be less impactful deep down the field on those bombs, which, by the way, are the most important plays in the passing game. Yeah. Like, but it's it's a balance, right? There's no whereas if you just stick him out on an island, yeah, he can take away your number one receiver, and maybe you'll never connect on a deep bomb like that. But every one of those other plays we just talked about is a lot easier to run. Bottom line to answer the question, the secondary, <laughs> much like the offensive line, if you have a weakness, the opposition can attack it, right? You can attack a weak offensive lineman, you can attack a weak member in the secondary. We've seen that historically, you know, a, a Kevin King, a, you know, whoever. Sorry, sorry to name names, but we've seen we've seen corners get targeted eight, 10, 12 times a game. And it's like it doesn't matter who's opposite. Uh, and I only mentioned Kevin King because you had the top graded corner in the NFL opposite him last year in Jair Alexander. And any team could avoid Jair if they wanted and go to Kevin King. So depth is crucial in the secondary because that's how because the offense dictates who they're going to throw to if they really want to. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about Manscaped? Our friends have just launched new products, including their all-new ultra-premium body wash and a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. How about Manscaped? How about them? <laughs> uh, transitions need some work here on Wednesday. It's not flowing as well. Um, but it snowed this morning, and you could use 
the uh, lawnmower 4.0 out in the snow. You could. If you needed to. It's all part of the performance package 4.0. So you go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. I mentioned the performance package 4.0. You'll find the lawnmower 4.0 in there. The This electric trimmer has proprietary, advanced, skin-safe technology to reduce cuts on your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower or out in the snow here in Cincinnati. Beautiful. If needed. They also launched the 2-in-1 shampoo, shampoo and conditioner that I mentioned. They've got the key ingredients that, with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, strengthening your hair, all at the same time. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. Give it to friends, man. Ball trimming for everybody. To give it to your friends. It's a great stocking stuffer. You get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. And as we always say, clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. Mm -hmm. As we always say. Been saying that for years. Feels like there's a pun in there somewhere with stocking stuffer as well that they haven't tapped into yet. Yeah, you think think they're mailing it in with these reads this uh, holiday season? I'm not mailing it in. I just don't think it's been their best work yet. There's still, there's still time for stocking stuffers and jingle balls to the wall. <laughs> still time for all that. There is. There did is. we have uh, another email to hit? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we did. Do. Yes. Uh, this one from, so this was like a, there's a multiple part thing, but I'm only reading out the third part. Uh, this one is from Joe Redston. You have um, three part email here? Yeah. It was good, but this is the only part of it that we're going to talk about. This is, a, this is a limited time show. We'd be here all day. Uh, can analytics predict the future? Or do they only tell us what happened in the past? I've been listening for five years now, and I've heard the conversation move from running backs don't matter to they matter under certain circumstances. Is this you guys understanding the nuances better, or is this teams responding to the data, or both? Uh, what I mean is, did the analytics around running backs lead teams to focus more on the pass game, but then the really sharp team zigged when everybody else zagged and concentrated on the run game, knowing that other teams were less able to defend it? Uh, I know it hasn't worked out this way because Mac Jones turned out to be good, but with the Patriots getting ahead of the curve with their free agent signings, which seem to be heavily focused on old school football. The fundamental question is, fundamental, good work, do analytics only tell us what happened last week or last season, or do they shape the game moving forwards? Yes, all of the above. <laughs> it's all true. Let me start by this. The phrase, running backs don't matter. Yes. Not, not our phrase. Not, I mean, we've used it maybe... Um, Hopefully we haven't used it much. I haven't used it much. <laughs> Most of the time, we would use it in jest. Um, but it, it, so we have, we, it is, just, just let me finish my thought quickly. Right. We have a lot of people in uh, the analytics com- community, the, the football Twitter folks that listen to us and everything, and I believe they firmly believe in using phrases like running backs don't matter, defense doesn't matter. Our own colleagues believe in those phrases. I don't necessarily believe in those phrases because we have a question like this. You guys said running backs don't matter, and now you're telling me a, a one matters, right? I mean, it's like... Okay, nothing doesn't completely matter, but the inter- better interpreted is there are other factors besides running backs that you would want to focus on first, but that's not as catchy. There is a school of thought out there that believes that the way you convince people and bring people around to your argument is by essentially shouting it as loud as possible in the most provocative terms as possible, because that will get traction and that will get it out to as many people as possible. And that's how you start to bring the conversation around. And that's why phrases like running backs don't matter exist. I would like to think that this show has always had a much more fence-sitting, middle-of-the-road approach to this, because there is the knowledge that understanding changes. And in particular, like this is science, right? This is why this happened with the COVID stuff. This happens with science generally. If you... 
If you go through school, right, one of the things that used to piss me off about science in school is that every single year, the first, like, week would be, all right, here's how everything you learned last year is horseshit. And actually, this is the way it is. And every year, you would basically have to unlearn everything you learned the year before and find out the way it actually works. But you what were clearly completely deemed, different the, the next year in school in science. Chemistry was always like that. Like you learn one thing and then you do organic chemistry and you get to be taught I mean, how a bunch of the stuff was just too simple for the your real dumbass little minds to comprehend the year before. Like <laughs> the real tough one, though, Sam, to wrap your head around was like when we were kids. Pluto was a planet, and now we're sitting here and they're like, oh, it's 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 just right. a ball of rock out there. So the like, it's not is, a planet. The point is generally that science has always taken the approach of, look, we don't have a complete picture. We tell you what we know until we know it's not true anymore, and then we tell you what we know then, right? And it's constantly evolving. It doesn't mean we lied to you initially, though the school thing does appear to have been quite. We got lied to. Right. We certainly got lied to. That about does Pluto. appear to have been much more sinister. Ooh, nine planets. So oh, it's a nice, yeah, you know, but nice number. The point is, you you convey the information to the best of your knowledge and then if the knowledge changes you your opinion changes or your take changes and this is like well we there's do, we do the, this with players all the time there's right? different ways of interpreting data too and in interpreting science but, but even if is. you say this is like the facts as we know them and this happens with players all the time it's like we will tell you what we think about a certain player if that player radically changes how he plays our take on the guy is going to change right we're not locked into bud dupree is not a great pass rusher just because he hasn't been if bud Dupree suddenly turns into Lawrence Taylor out there, we'll change our take on him. But until that happens, he will remain Bud Bad Dupree, right? That's just the fact. That's <laughs> yes. the way of the world. And that's the, this is the thing with the running backs don't matter. The reason I think we have hammered that an awful lot in an awful lot of a, a less aggressive manner than some other people is because you might get some information that comes along and says, well, when we thought they didn't matter entirely, they matter a little bit. And there's certain situations where they matter more than you might think. So I think it's, it, your first answer was correct in that it is, it is all of that, right? Teams are certainly changing and you have the likes of Tennessee and New England and Cleveland. There are more teams out there that are investing more heavily in the run game as a design part of their offense, while the general trend of NFL offenses has been skewing pass happy and light and 11 personnel and all those kinds of things. So that is definitely true. I think it's also true that running backs or the run game generally matters a little bit more than we were led to believe initially. Um, and all of these things are coming together. So th there's, there's, other, there's other layers to this as well, right? Um, first off, let's use Derrick Henry as an example. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. There are outliers that, that do exist. Yes. Um, the 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 part of the running backs don't matter concept though is is to not chase the outlier right it is there are it, it's having a Derrick Henry might be a viable way to win and actually help your quarterback and and elevate your offensive line and all that stuff but how 
going and finding that Derrick Henry is difficult because you know what? I Dalvin Cook looks like he could be as impactful as Derrick Henry. Zeke Elliott's looked like he could be as impactful as Derrick Henry. Todd Gurley has looked like he can be. Alvin Kamara and all of those guys either have been hurt or just not as good as Derrick Henry. And by the way, Derrick Henry's and by the way, Derrick Henry's now hurt. Okay, so <clears throat> that that is the point I think in a lot of this is. Um, it, running backs don't matter. Don't chase outliers, right? Because Derrick Henry was also a second, third round pick. I keep um, forgetting where he landed in the actual draft versus my old mock drafts. Um, so that's the other part of it. Um, and then there's just, in football, there are no, the edges are not as clear cut as other sports. And we say this a lot, right? The, the idea of like a, a, an idiotic go for it decision and stuff like that, it affects win probability and 2%. I mean, it's percentage points here and there. It's not 100%. So nothing we're saying is implied to be that here's 100% the only way to do things. Uh, It's This gives you a 55% chance of doing things better. Well, that's not, that's not great. It's not, you know, set in stone in the, you know, the only way to, uh, to win. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different variables. Um, I was thinking of this the other day too, as I, um, you know, we get a lot of questions about the grading and, and they match it with stats and everything, right? Um, to compare to other sports. A touchdown. So when we do our grading, Sam, you've been doing grading for over 10 years now with us. When we do our grading, is it fair to say that a touchdown is the best thing an offense can do, but the best football plays are not necessarily touchdowns? Sure. Right? So, so in other words, for like a quarterback, he could throw a screen pass for a touchdown. He could throw a dime for a touchdown. That's great. Uh, he could throw a bad pass for a touchdown. But the ultimate result is a touchdown. In other sports, the best thing that you can do is is probably also the best thing for the team. So, like hitting a three pointer in basketball is like your skill. It's it's like the hardest thing to do, the most valuable thing to do. And if you do it, you get credit. You should you deserve full credit for it. Pretty much, right? You're not dependent on anyone else. Hitting a home run in baseball is the best thing you can do. It's most valuable. It's it's the the hardest thing to do, the most valuable thing to do. And it's like you you get full credit in football. Scoring a touchdown is the best thing you do on offense, and but it's not always you. You're dependent on other people sometimes to throw a touchdown, to run for a touchdown, to catch a touchdown, to sack the quarterback. We talk about sacks all the time. It's the best thing you can do as a defensive lineman, right? The most valuable thing you can do, but you're dependent on a bunch of other stuff. I think that's also one of the biggest disconnects when trying to um, evaluate football players but also project forward is in other sports – you could clearly see the highest valuable things and the most difficult things in football, so many other dependent areas. Does that all make sense, my little ramble? <laughs> Not really, but anyway. <laughs> I think it's always been about the fact that Good fo- response. football is extremely difficult to isolate any individual thing and strip out all of the 58 different uh, contributing factors. So the whole point about like running backs is, hey, it's really easy to see a running back get a handoff, run 15 yards, pick up a first down, look great, uh, or you know, run 63 yards from a touchdown. But it's a lot harder to identify the the many different things on that play that caused that to happen. So that was a perfectly blocked up play essentially by New England, which means at least five, six, seven other guys executed blocks to spring that wide open, in addition to a couple of guys on defense screwing up and all those kinds of things. And Eric has, you know, had this article, um, Eric Eager from the PFF Forecast, had this article essentially saying, if you have a perfectly blocked run play, everybody makes their block, nobody has a negative grade, it is the most effective play in the NFL. It's more effective than a perfectly blocked pass play 
which still needs like a quarterback to, you know, find a receiver and, and deliver the pass, which against what could be good coverage. Whereas in the run game, if you block it up, there's nobody there to make the play anymore, right? Everybody's done. So the perfectly blocked run play is the most effective play in the game. And therefore, the plays where the running back has the most success are by definition dependent on 10 other guys getting their job done. And that's the problem where you're trying to identify, well, how much is this the running back? How much of this is 10 other guys? And where does the actual credit and responsibility lie? And all the data has always said that running backs are responsible for a much smaller percentage of that than the the 10 good blocks that essentially led it for led for anybody to make that run um now i think you are seeing a few areas where or sort of that kind of that kind of research suggests that you know the run game is actually potentially more important than we thought it was in the beginning but also players like derrick henry and jonathan taylor this year are showing that you know running back and nick chubb that running backs can overcome that blocking sort of baseline one more thing to add to that right even though i think analytics has analytics has described this utopian world where teams pass more and it's 75 percent pass instead of you know 60 percent pass or whatever that looks like right the nfl is not there yet right so the nfl is not passing 75 80 percent of the time so as long as they're running a lot then the run blocking from offensive linemen and run defense from defenders is a factor Right. I mean, as, as long as you have to defend the run, you would still rather be good at it than bad at it. Even if we were saying the pass game is the more important factor as far as winning football games. Um, the other part of dependency, too, that I think we've learned from Derrick Henry is how much does he truly affect everything else? The defense. Right. Yeah. How, how much has he been a part of Ryan Tannehill's pass game success? The defense, the blocking, the, the quarterback, like everything. Like, that's the thing. It isn't just... Um, Derrick Henry being a product of the things around him, it's Derrick Henry actually factoring into everything else that's working. The other, the other thing about football that we talk about is um, sample size issues. Every other sport plays 80 games, 162 games in baseball. You're, you have a 17-game schedule now in football, which you know that's in, in the grand scheme of other sports, it's a tiny yeah. sample size. And within those... Seven, one out of 17 games for the Patriots and Bills had howling 20 to 50 mile an hour winds, right? One out of 162 games is the perfect literally example. nothing. Like that know? game's the perfect example, right? That play, that game came down to a couple of plays here or there. If they go the other way, you're coming out of this game with a completely different narrative, right? All of a sudden, Buffalo is the team that can win in ugly conditions against the one-dimensional New England Patriots <laughs> that didn't even dare pass the ball. Josh Allen, you know, fires that one pass that won them the game. The Bills were back on top of the division. There, the, you know what I mean? The whole thing flips based off like three plays in a freakish wind, like hurricane. But that's the sample size in the NFL the difference between Buffalo being seen as like a Super Bowl contender and Buffalo reeling and maybe not making the playoffs is a couple of games in howling wins in one game. It's like it's absurd versus other sports where there are hundreds of games to deal with. So all that adds up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people in the YouTube comments are correct. I saw them talking about, you know, it's, all, it's about finding inefficiencies. And absolutely, that's what the numbers are, right? Yeah. Uh, the NFL has ultimately the NFL has adjusted to not our takes, we didn't invent this running back thing, 
they have they have adjusted to not paying running backs as much and not giving them long term contracts. And and I think Brad Spielberger was making that point that like <laughs> that was trending that way for a long time before we said anything. Right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the contract thing, like the the league was going away from paying running backs way before PFF started saying running backs don't matter. Right. And again, like the baseball, you know, the baseball equivalent was, hey, on-base percentage is the thing. And then everybody caught on to that. And all of a sudden, the Oakland A's market inefficiency that everybody talked about in Moneyball was on-base percentage. And it was no longer on-base percentage. Everybody was was looking for that. So, okay, what are the other inefficiencies? Where Where do you find cheaper but valuable players? What are the what are different draft strategies? What are different ways? Like the Rams are trying to tap into this. They're using numbers, presumably, to make these decisions, right? To go veterans over rookies or re- veterans over you know top three rounders and all that stuff. They're they're playing whatever percentages they've they've come up with to make these decisions, and that's the um, that's the art of all this stuff too, right? There will literally be thirty two different ways of. Of, of doing things mm-hmm. and uh, people come to different conclusions just very quickly before we preview uh, Thursday night football I just want your reaction to some new information that may, may or may not sway your coach of the year vote um, Cliff Kingsbury was told former Cardinal Frank Sanders got a tattoo in Kingsbury's honor and Cliff was asked if he'd ever had something like that done by another player uh, his response was not a male quote unquote <laughs> goddamn hero <laughs> Cliff yeah, Cliff. Uh, I mean, between that and the house at draft time, yeah, man's living the life right now. Yeah, you definitely forget forget the uh, the wind bowl from the other night. I yeah. mean, this is Cliff Kingsbury lapping Bill Belichick. The, right, now. this is way more important than that. Football fans, I'm sure you all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers can bet just one dollar on any team to score. Uh, and you can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't yet available in your state, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. And DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, pretty easy. DraftKings Sportsbook. Promo code is PFF. All right. We've got um, Steelers Vikings on Thursday Night Football. But I did want to ask this uh, T.J. Watt question because uh, my friends over in Pittsburgh, I, you know, I see there, they made me follow them on Twitter. He made you follow Philipponi, them? Philipponi and, uh, and Muller. What do you mean they made you? Well, they were like, they're like, yeah, you're, Steve, you're not you know, one of the radio hits I was doing with them. Um, oh, you're not following us on Twitter and all this stuff. They're like, they were offended. Um, and then I think so they said if I follow you. them, if I follow them, they would donate to our charity. Okay. So it was in part. So it That's was kind funny. of a... It was a, you know, it Bargain. Was, it was a barter. You yeah. know, we were bargaining. That's okay. Um, so I follow them now. So I got to get this. Um, I get this Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know, fodder and all that stuff pushed pushed my way. So uh-huh. they're talking T.J. Watt for MVP because he's got a ton of sacks and sorry MVP. Yeah, yeah, most valuable player. T.J. Watt. What? I, the guy has 16 sacks. Yeah. And 
Uh, you've been thinking about TJ Watt and his crazy 16 sack season this week, so I wanted to uh, to discuss. So again, discuss TJ Watt MVP. No, is he a quarterback? <laughs> no, no, he's not. Well, then he's not MVP. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, look, if you want to talk defensive player of the year, that's at least coming from a you know a discussion on this planet. We can have that conversation. But MVP is absurd. How many sacks does he have per the NFL? We have him with 16 sacks, uh, only 40 total pressures. Now, he's played in 10 games, too. Right. Um, because 16, 16, 16. It's the same. So he's got 16 NFL sacks. The thing with TJ Watt is he's also having one of those years where he's forcing fumbles in at key times, right? Like he did it in overtime against the Seattle Seahawks to win the game. Yeah. He actually Which he's done had, for a while, by the way. Like that, yeah. that's been a trend of his for a few years to really he sort of made that transition, which I think a lot of elite edge rushers do when you you start off, you get a ton of pressure, then all of a sudden you sort of learn how to make the sacks show up as well. And then the next step is you get the sacks and you start creating those forced fumbles and those just real game-changing plays. Like Khalil Mack did that at one point in his career where he went from dominant player just every snap to, hey, there are the sack totals now. And then, boom, look, now he's like strip sacking and right. notching interceptions randomly. Like TJ Watt did that for a while ago and has kept on. Yeah, so like the for the MVP discussion, I am of the mind that you know, like, why are we still entertaining the MVP? What? what? It, it's just one of those years where the the things are also happening at clutch times, right? Yes. And whether that's sustainable or not, you can understand it. It seems like T.J. Watt single handedly. It's not true, but single handedly beat the Seattle Seahawks with his play. That he single handedly beat the Ravens. He forced a fumble. I was giving Lamar credit the other day for the game-winning drive. I had forgotten for a minute. Lamar fumbled the game away on the game-winning drive. The ball just happened to bounce about 20 yards out of bounds. That was T.J. Watt forcing that fumble as well. Had that been recovered, I mean, the the MVP hype would be through the roof. He single-handedly won two games for the Steelers with their incompetent offense. So I'm just saying that's where it's stemming from. So it's not only the 16 sacks. It's also strip sacks at the right time in overtime to seal games and all that stuff. Watt had the pressure that uh, forced Lamar's slightly off target throw to Mark Andrews, even though it was completely unblocked in a straight line mm-hmm. right at the core. I'm just saying all of the, all the touchy feely things are there for TJ Watt in this discussion, but he's also missed some time, which is a factor. Yeah. Which is a factor. I mean, um, even uh, T- our guy Timo is talking about the MVP race being between Brady, Kyler Murray, and Aaron Rodgers. You're talking about Rodgers missing a game and having two stinkers, you know, in, this season. Kyler's missed multiple games. But because the MVP race is, is kind of wide open this year, you can, you can have these, some of these discussions. TJ, but you, wanna, you just want to end this? Or? The MVP thing I want to end. TJ Watt ranks 102nd in PFF war on okay, the season. So right? over. 102. So he's not the most valuable. He's behind Devondre Campbell. Like, he's not MVP. That's ridiculous. It's farcical. And you're kowtowing to your Pittsburgh radio buddies. That's, oh, yeah. That's I, ridiculous. I was, it was actually, this is the one good segue I made. Yeah. So the Steelers are playing Thursday Night Football. Let's preview that game with the Vikings. Right. I, you, can, you can make a case for Defensive Player of the Year. It's at least, as I say, like, that's vaguely rational. It's, that's a fair I think, case, right? 89.6 wrong. overall grade. Wow. Uh, it is crazy, though, because you, you tweeted out this week, right, and got some, some hate mail. Yeah. The uh, 16 sacks and 40 pressures, that is just a, a crazy percentage of, of sacks yes. and pressures. Yes, that is a weird number that is, is 
a not sustainable but it doesn't need to be for him to win defensive player of the year my point was simply that like usually when you see a player that has like a a third of his pressure result in sacks you usually see that guy end up with a much lower pff grade than you would typically associate with the high sack number right because they're not as productive pressure wise as the number would indicate but what like almost all of his plays are actually big impactful plays he's making forced fumbles the ones you talked about like he's making key decisive massively highly graded plays and therefore his grade is basically as high as you would expect from the sack total so the fact that he does only quote unquote have 40 pressures the 40 pressures number is obviously skewed by the fact that he hasn't played as many games but he's ninth in pressure rate not even pressure rate win rate um he's even lower in pressure rate uh, 11th so the numbers are as good as the sack total it's just a it's kind of crazy to see that such a high uh, sack number yeah and you know in our world when we're saying who are the best players who's playing the best the, the reason why the grade or the win rate doesn't match the sack totals is because he's not winning at as high of a rate so someone's right. doing that better than him someone's winning quicker and faster and more often like than tj watt he has the same number of sacks as miles garrett so here's one thing that's kind of funny like steelers fans be like oh he's got more sacks than miles garrett they have sacked the quarterback the same number of times it's just that miles garrett has got screwed by the absurd nfl insistence on half sacks which make no sense whatsoever again we've said this before but half sacks do not exist because the nfl believes they're a quantifiably worse play they exist because they want the box score to add up and therefore when two guys arrive at the same time they simply split it up so that there aren't more sacks on defense than there are given up by the offense so miles garrett perfect we'll cut that we're going to cut that for the twitter account that's perfect (laughs) let's let's save that one for the twitter account and we'll miles garrett and tj watt have the same number of sacks but tj watt is credited with two more but the point is miles garrett has like 60 more rushes so it's taken him 60 more rushes to get the same number of sacks so like win for tj but miles garrett has a pass rush win rate that's like seven percentage points higher so he has been winning just beating his block one-on-one or more on one like however many guys have been trying to block him more often than tj watt but it's resulted in a much worse sack rate so how many times is tj walk gonna sack kirk cousins this week who can tell what else are you looking for in this game here, Sam? I'll, well, do you want to talk a little bit of Vikings? I mean, he's going up against Brian O'Neill, so that's a pretty tough assignment. Um, Brian O'Neill's a good right tackle. I'm not saying TJ Watt can't beat good right tackles, but it's, it's going to be a tough day at the office for him. Like, he's going to have a challenge. What, uh, you wanted to help, you wanted to talk about the Vikings this week anyway. Yeah, I mean, we can do that at some other point. That maybe, maybe we just preview the game rather than uh, you don't want to get forensically to pick over the carcass of the Viking season. I'm just saying, there's a couple articles this week. Uh, Matthew Collar, our friend, who um, is you know in part of the Vikings media, has his own site and everything. Uh, I think Ben Solak wrote for the Athletic. Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins has good stats. He's always had good stats. He's one of the few quarterbacks. They're both kind of taking the same angle. It is very difficult to lose when your quarterback is productive. You have a quote-unquote good head coach, a guy with a pretty good track record in Zimmer, and you've got a good GM historically in uh, Rick Spielman. And then I think, I don't know if it was, Caller's point was like Kirk Cousins is the only quarterback in history with a good passer rating with like a losing record. Right. And um, I think that's explainable in not so much Kirk now, but I, I do think historically he's always had an inflated passer rating. I think he's had a way of playing that was not conducive to the football scoreboard. 
in actually winning games. He was he played conducive to putting up stats. And um, I do think Cousins has gotten better in that regard. But it is this quirky situation that the Vikings are in where if you put the blueprint of a team together, the foundation looks good, but it's just it's not leading to wins at all in Minnesota right now. It's not. Um, and I mean, I think there's a very real chance that Pete, that this is a, a watershed sort of season for them that they eventually decide this is not working. We need to go in a different direction. It feels a lot like, remember the end of the Mike Shanahan era in, um, in Denver, only without the Super Bowls that are sort of keeping everybody attached for the kids. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the Vikings never got their Super Bowl. So it's probably a lot easier to event to eventually blow it up and say goodbye to everybody. But it feels like the same idea where like you are, your baseline is very high relative to the NFL generally, right? You're, you're generally speaking, you're right on the fringe of making the playoffs every single year, whether or not you make it is, is whatever, but you're, you're right there. You're never, you're never having those seasons like Detroit. I know it's, you know, Detroit won last week, so they did whatever they did, but you're not having those seasons where you're the basement dweller. You're looking for the number one overall pick. You just suck. You are always pretty competitive regardless of what comes against you. But at some point, you have to be like, we're not in this for hovering around the playoffs. We're in this to win a Super Bowl. And there's zero evidence right now that the current setup can get that done. In fact, the one time you were close to it, you sort of systematically unbuilt what was there and taken it all to pieces. 2017? Right. And haven't put it all back together again. 2017 seemed like a very unsustainable roster though they it reminded me of the the jim harbaugh 49ers where it was like they're just really good everywhere and at some point you can't pay all these no, guys course, but, and there's not enough depth and all that stuff but and the point is usually to keep you, usually that's kind of comes in cycles and you can kind of have that kind of team it goes to pieces you put it back together like the point is you haven't that you've taken that roster to pieces and you have not even come close to building it back up again so now you're just stuck in this situation of perpetual mediocrity and many things look like they need to change for that to shift yeah so the vikings uh for this game in particular uh, they're favored by three and uh pff Greenline likes the vikings actually by by 3.7 to be exact <laughs> so uh we've got a slight edge for for the vikings here at home and I, I wonder if this is one of those things where the Steelers are coming off this big emotional win against the Ravens, feeling good about themselves. The Vikings are coming off one of the worst losses of the year because it was against the team that didn't have any wins and they lost. Um, but, you know, you reset and it's like, all right, it doesn't matter because the Vikings are a better team. They're at home. Uh, Adam Thielen has been ruled out for this game. Dalvin Cook, questionable for the Vikings. It is the kind of game that, you know, the Vikings would bounce back in. You complete lay an egg against Detroit. You give them their first win of the year. Um, it's like, oh, the sky's falling in Minnesota. Blow it up. Let's fire everybody. And then the next week you go out there and you beat Pittsburgh, who are, you know, doing okay themselves. That would make a lot of sense to me. So I kind of buy into the, the green line side of things there. Yeah. I, so you're going you're gonna to pick the Vikings to, uh, to cover this thing? Uh, what did you say? It was three? It's three as of right now per PFF green line. By the way, you can get uh, – are we back to NFL Pod as our promo code? Yeah, twenty five percent off. Yeah, look at that. Cyber NFL Pod. Get back to there. If you miss Cyber Forty, good luck. We still have twenty five percent off. Your good news is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, twenty five percent off NFL Pod. Uh, you don't even have to tell them that we sent you. They'll know because it's the promo code NFL Pod. True. Yeah, yeah. Twenty five percent off any PFF subscription. A lot of great stuff coming up, including our draft guide after the season, and uh, 
we did want you to maybe email. I know there's a lot of requests to email stuff, but um, can you email? Uh, where is it here? Our folks over at uh, contact at pff.com. They want to know because they want to get your feedback. What Which feature at PFF do you love the most? What do you want the most from PFF? And, uh, that's where you go say more Stephen Sam. Well, we need that. Not that I so want to work more, but. We're looking for features. So you need to come up with an idea. That no, creates, it's really, yeah, it's product that, features. That creates us as a product feature is what you really want. But tell them, tell them you came through the PFF NFL podcast because we're going to put your wish list together. As listeners, your wish list will be put together. Um, and we'll kind of have like our own podcast wish list for the new things at PFF because they, uh, they really want to hear everybody's feedback. What's going to make PFF.com even better? So contact at PFF.com and then NFL pod for your 25% off. Um, all that to say, you, that's how you can get Greenline. All part of your PFF Elite package for 25% off. Yeah. So you're going to go with the Vikings in this one by three? Yeah. Are you going to regret that? Probably. How are they going to make this a close game? How are they going to make this a one-point game? Well, they're not that great, so. <laughs> Is TJ Watt, like there's an inev- inevitable strip sack of Kirk Cousins coming in this game, right? Yeah. Now, Kirk's throwing the ball pretty well still overall this season. And uh, even with Thielen out, yeah, Steelers are not great. On the back end, uh, I think Big Ben will throw the ball all right. You know, dome. We got a dome here. Big Ben's coming off of his probably his best game. I think, given the circumstances and all that stuff, his best game of the year. One of his top three for sure on Sunday. So I'm going to go Steelers here. I'm buying into this hype. Steelers as underdogs. Big Ben feeling good. Thielen out. Going to go vi- uh, Steelers to cover this thing. Okay, by three. All right. And uh, T.J. Watt MVP hype going through the roof here. Yeah. Just kidding. It's Brady. Brady's worth about a win more than any other player in the NFL so far this year. So it's a weird. It is a weird year for MVP in that like there's no, you know, runaway dominant force like the Patrick Mahomes year, the Lamar Jackson year. These unanimous MVPs where they're just steaming away with it, and everybody's like, "Yeah, well, that's obvious." This year, it is Tom Brady right now, and he's the betting favorite. But it's kind of like everybody else has fallen over at some point, and Brady's the last guy standing, and he's not playing as well as he was earlier in the year, but. Right. It's what we've got. That, so to me, that's the biggest thing, right? Brady's, uh, a lot of Brady's best games came earlier in the year. He was good last Sunday against the Falcons. But a lot of his best stuff came earlier in the year. Like if that Cowboys game that Brady had happened in like week 15, it'd be like, oh my God, this is the MVP. He beat the great Cowboys with a fourth quarter comeback and he had four touchdowns and all this stuff. It's the timing factor of it. But yeah, Brady's the MVP, guys. Um, still, still more time to go. So. Anyway, great show. Thank you. Great Wednesday show. How, how, how are you going to give away that book Yours now? Is okay. Uh, you didn't like my show. You didn't like my uh, explanation of I mean, you know, you're all right. analytics and this and that. Go follow the new podcast Twitter account, which is, what did I say it was? PFF NFL Pod, at PFF NFL Pod on Twitter. Look at that and, thing. Uh, at some point, yeah, there you go. See? And uh, at some point, I'll give away this Bill Polian book. When's the, like, the first thousand, like when we get to a thousand maybe? I mean, Christmas is coming up, so at some point I'm going to need to throw this thing in the mail, but whatever. At some Just get point. us to 1,000 followers quickly. Well, That'll look, happen. We, how many followers have you got? You've got like you know, 25 followers, something like I that. I did a little uh, be sure to follow us tweet that, that knocked out about 100. So look, I have 90,000 followers. You've got whatever you have. Oh, why are you going to? For my math, that's. How are you at 90 now? That's like, that's, that's a lot of people that should be following this. That's all I'm saying. If, if I have 90 and you have, what, 70? 78. 78. How are you that far ahead of me? That's a lot of people that should be following the other account. So go and follow. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it should be that simple. If you're following us on Twitter, go follow at Pod on Twitter as well. There you go. All right, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back 
tomorrow. That's Thursday. Previewing all of the week 14 action in the NFL. Have a good one.